Before we get started, um, I just want to ask everyone who's listening, if you find the podcast or this episode helpful, please share, so like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, leave a review if you can. It really helps to get the podcast out to whoever it can help. And um, the easiest way for you guys to help me get more listeners is uh to share it with people that you think it'll help. So um, I really appreciate it. And um, on to the show. This is the Cherished You Podcast. I am your host, Rama. Hello, welcome back. So um, this episode is kind of like a a part five to the previous four episodes where I'm I'm sharing um, my story kind of more in its complete um, iteration. And what I wanted, um, while my story kind of finishes, like how I left the cult of my mother and um, leaving the abuse of a narcissistic parent and all of that, all the things that led up to the point of me going no contact, um, while I feel like a lot of that is important, especially for people who might be in the middle of that situation and they're trying to figure out what they need to do to get out or um, at least figure out what the what the best way of them kind of creating some separation between the the family call to their the, the narcissistic parent and themselves is what comes after you leave though and is i think in my in my opinion anyway and mostly because yes i'm a coach for this for this stage is that um is knowing what to do next because the story doesn't end when you leave the environment you still carry with you all of the wounds that come from going going through all of that abuse you still carry if uh, you know if most likely you're listening to this and you are somebody who has lived a life that's similar to mine so that means that you're also carrying the wounds of a childhood that was not where you were not properly attached to your parent, where you were not um, given a secure sense of self, um, where you did not learn how to feel and regulate your own emotions, where you could not trust your perception of reality. Um, All of those things you do not have a baseline of when you go through childhood narcissistic abuse, um, especially when it's um, done by a parent or a caregiver um, And so this episode is really about sharing with you all about what I did to get myself into a space of um, really where I am able to show up as authentically as myself as I can and also to stop projecting my trauma onto everything else around me and also giving myself the tools to recognize trauma when it shows up again, to recognize abuse when it shows up again. And um, hopefully that all of that will make sense as I continue on. 
So once I left um, my the cult of my mother um, in 2019, I stayed with a friend for a few months while I was looking for a job. I came back to Colorado, and I um, didn't have. Uh, I had one um, part-time gig as a uh, freelance website um, website design ma- and maintenance for my friend's business. And as I was staying with her, I was also looking for another job so that I could be able to um, be able to support rent on my own and food on my own. And that was, um, during all this time, I am very much still dealing with uh, the, the trauma of having finally, after all of these years, leaving my family um, and not talking to anybody from my family. I didn't talk to my brothers. I didn't talk to my sister. Um, I was also dealing with my mother's attempts to get her claws back in me during this time. Um, they, she sent the cops out. She, sent, she, she created a missing persons report with the cops in New York. And when they called me or located me, I told them that I wasn't lost, I wasn't missing, I wasn't kidnapped, and I'm an adult and I'm allowed to do what I want, and they left it at that. I told them that I was fine, um, and that was the end of that. There was nothing legally they could do because I didn't do anything illegal. I didn't take anything from my mother. I didn't take anything from their house. It was all my own stuff that I did take with me, and um, I took my own animals. (laughs) They weren't theirs anyway, and they are not fond of animals as it is. And so... um, there was that whole thing. There was the welfare check that they sent to my old job um, when I came back to Colorado. And then my old boss had to be like, hey, you got to handle this. And I'm like, I am. And it's hard to explain to people who haven't been through that for them to understand that all of these attempts are control by the narcissist is a way for you to be embarrassed by what the narcissist is doing. The narcissist themselves doesn't, doesn't ever feel that, doesn't feel that embarrassment because they are doing everything they can to get back to controlling you so there is no embarrassment on their part you're you are the one when you're dealing the consequences of something like cops coming to your old boss looking for you to do a quote-unquote welfare welfare check when there's no reason to do so there's nothing there um there was the letters that my mother kept sending to my old job because that was the only address she had um this all stuff died down after a little while I was able to get a job. Um, I actually happened to still be working there. And it was, um, I always find seren- like connections and serendipitous uh, happenstance is uh, so funny to me because I, the place that I ended up getting hired at was a store very similar to my parents in the position of what I went to New York to do for my parents, I ended up doing here. It's also a family business here. They're a little bit more long-standing than my family, um, but still really similar. There's just so many similarities. And the, diff- the main difference being that I was allowed to do a job here where, in Colorado, whereas with my parents, I, couldn't, I never even really got my foot in the door um, after my mother was able to get the licenses in my name. But underneath all of this is I am dealing with a incredibly dysregulated nervous system. And this is going to be important because when it comes to healing, you 
healing from abuse is not an easy process because we kind of, it kind of gets started top down. Meaning when you're dealing with all of this stuff, you want to go, you're told to go to therapy. Most common form of therapy is talk therapy. Um, especially for ones that if you are in a tight spot financially, that's the one that you'll be able to afford. And because there's more sliding scale options on on talk therapy than there are in other forms of therapy. Trauma therapy is more expensive. Cult therapy, finding a cult-informed therapist is also more expensive. Um, somatic therapy is also more expensive. Um, so you kind of start off with talk therapy. So we spend a lot of time in our heads. And I know when I, start, when I finally left and in all of the kind of... Um, chaos around me leaving kind of died down and it took about uh god almost a year before that happened to be honest because it would i would finally start it would stop for a few months and then also my mother would um my mother found out where i was working and then called my work um uh, my current job um and would uh interrogate my co-workers and i'm having to explain oh hey like my mom's nuts like don't tell her where i am and trying to explain that to people without them really understanding the context of it. And also, in my, in my defense, I don't want to explain the context of it. Um, this is still something that's still really raw for me at the time that this is happening. Most people don't want to hear your life story, um, to be honest. That's not, um, it's not their responsibility, nor is it yours to have to give explanations about what's going on. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is it misunderstood? Yes. You're just going to have to live with it. And... While, yes, I felt embarrassed, I was still dealing with a heavily dysregulated nervous system. Having now actually officially given myself a no way back in, um, like kind of stop, um, as far as like reconnecting with my family, like that was no longer going to happen. I was not going to allow that to happen. Um, I was finally able to cut off the spigot of abuse that my body had gotten used to over the course of my lifetime. And I was now having to deal with the repercussions of cutting off that survival response. Now that I no longer had abuse coming in, my nervous system was finally given the chance to kind of relax. When you are a childhood abuse victim though, what happens is that once that abuse spigot is kind of cut off, you, your nervous system starts to look for it in other ways because it spent a lifetime living with it. If you get too calm, if you get too centered, if you get too grounded, um, your, you will, your mind will find ways to create the upheaval that you were used to, to get that nervous system response, that stress response to come through because that's what it's used to. And breaking that pattern is honestly the hardest thing to do. Um, I made a couple other mistakes along the way. Um, I took a job that uh, required a lot of time. I was also having a very long commute to that job. And I also got into a, a, got into a relationship when I should not have. Um, and this is my own very... Um, harsh critique of myself because I thought that because I had been single and I was recovering from my previous relationship with a covert narcissist, that I had done the work. 
and I didn't understand at the time that that was not the narcissistic relationship I had to heal from. That was not the narcissistic abuse that had really impacted me. It was my mother. But I didn't have that awareness at the time. Um, it wasn't until two years later that I figured out, oh shit, I'm not taking out the narcissistic abuse of my last boyfriend onto this boyfriend. Are true for kids of uh, narcissistic parents. You have the narcissistic abuse from your parents and then you have the narcissistic abuse of the systems that we live in. And when you start to unravel one, you start to unravel the other. If you're doing it right, you're going to unravel both. And it's already hard enough on a nervous system to do one, to just deal with the narcissistic parent and the abuse that they inflicted on you and trying to get yourself, put yourself back together after all of that is one thing. When you're also learning and getting confronted with the abuse of the system that both created your parent, the abuse you lived under and you, it is also, that, that is just another form of dysregulation that is on top of everything else. So I am the first one to admit that um, from 2019, oh, and then, uh, this is the end of 2019, and I almost forgot that 2020 was a pandemic, and that is another set of trauma that was inflicted on everybody. And it's not, I wasn't so much traumatized because of the pandemic. I was traumatized of having to work during the pandemic. Everyone else, it seems like is still recovering from being, going through lockdown, which honestly to me sounds like a vacation. I would have been all up for it. Problem was I count, I counted as an essential worker. I worked in a grocery store. So I was, I had to show up to work in the middle of this deadly virus going around where everyone else had the ability to at least go home and protect themselves, and I was not. And this kind of triggered some of the medical trauma that I had from why I left medicine, and, this, and that connected back to me too. So I'm already in a very dysregulated state toward the end of 2019. Then 2020 shows up and there's the pandemic. I'm still dealing with all of this stuff. I'm also dealing of how to be in a trauma-informed relationship with somebody who is not as trauma-informed as I am, has, doesn't have as much awareness around their own traumatic experiences or the, the healing or lack thereof that they themselves have done. And I have this other like looming historical glo like historic global event happening where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm gonna live to the end of the year. Like, I really don't know. If I get this thing and I get sick, I'm immunocompromised. I had just been diagnosed with celiac. If I, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. There's so much going on in this like first year out um, that I don't know if I could have done any better than what I did. Um, I'm not saying I did anything great, but I survived. Um, so that is something I think to me, even if I didn't always act correctly, even if my fight or flight was no, like ratcheted up to like a million, um, even if I was, I was probably more depressed than I had been since my teen years. Um, I don't, I can't say I felt suicidal this first year. I felt suicidal the following year though. When everything kind of started to relax a little bit, there was this overwhelming sense of despair that came over me in 2021 for sure. And um, in some of 2022, I remember that feeling of despair. Um, 
But all of that to say that there is no right time to start healing from this stuff. I thought I was doing the best I can. I was like, I was ready. I was like, you know what? I know this is going to be shit. I'm going to deal with this. I, I made some wrong decisions because I didn't recognize the full context of my situation. I should not have gotten into a relationship when I wasn't quite there yet. Um, again, but I think that in my, my life in particular, I, I have been given um, a safety net when I didn't quite realize at the time that, that they were safety nets. And I think that because, yes, part of it is, is a trauma response to go into a relationship as soon as you get out of a narcissistic one. And especially the most, most foundational relationship of my life with being with my, with my mother and my family. Once I cut that off, um, getting into an intimate relationship right away is, is my, um, is, is my, my body, my mind's way of trying to uh, create a social net that I can, I, I, that at least looks dependable from the outside. Um, in, in retrospect, I, I think that, I, I remember the feeling of wanting to have physical presence of someone around yet also simultaneously wanting to be alone because I needed to create the safety within myself first before I could depend on anybody else for it. I had that much awareness because I had done a certain amount of the work already by the time I left. In order for me to be able to have left, I had to have, cre I had, I had to have done a little bit of the deconstruction work beforehand because um, I was not gonna be able to get out of it without having done that. Um, but still, I, I struggled with, um, I, I struggled to make um, decisions that maybe, I, I did struggle with these two dichotomous decisions where like I wanted to be around people but I wanted to be by myself. Um, I needed to have the comfort of knowing that there was somebody who at least, whose physical presence was at least kind of there and also knowing that this is not the kind of presence I want. I'd much rather be alone and deal with my shit. Um, felt like I was wasting time, um, you know, going back and forth and doing kind of like ridiculous, in my, in my perspective, doing kind of like ridiculous things to maintain a relationship that I wasn't sure was even worth that much time and effort when I really wanted to put that time and effort into myself and my healing. So I was, you know, I was struggling with a lot of these things and it took two and a half years to get to a point where I kind of put all the pieces together and I was like, okay, so there is this middle ground of, yes, you are traumatized, you are gonna have a heightened response to certain actions from other people um, that may or may not be warranted. Like I'm gonna have an abnormal reaction to someone not paying attention to me um, after I leave a family cult. Um, <coughs> that, excuse me that if I had done a little bit more work before I got into that relationship, I wouldn't be as triggered by. Um, and then also understanding that that person's inability to show up for me in the way that I'm looking for after me clearly stating what it is that I'm looking for, that is a big caveat here. I am not expecting any, I never expected anybody to mind read. I was very clear about presenting my needs in a verbal way that was easy, easy to understand. And if then somebody couldn't show up for me, understanding that that was their shortcoming, not mine, and also trying to get out of it. Um, I did try that. Um, 
I was not able to for a long time. And, and then my inability to actually cut this person off was coming from the place of I had just cut off my entire family. And I really didn't know if I could handle being absolutely alone by myself because I didn't have a lot of friends here. And I didn't have a lot of safe places to talk about this kind of thing with. So something was better than nothing, even if that something was not exactly what I was looking for. So there is kind of like you have to, you do, I think in some cases, make do with subpar relationships because something is better than nothing. And there, I don't think there's any shame in that because we're, we're social creatures. We need each other. And the need to uh, cut off people for the tiniest infraction versus actually cutting off people who, are, who deserve to be because, who, do, who do not deserve access to you because they are so abusive. There is a difference in those two things. And I was during this time just trying to come to terms with that. And then add on top of that a pandemic and add on top of that having to work through work in a, in a time of like really great global upheaval and not knowing what was going to happen next. And then also having to then continue working in a place where um, now everyone's pretending that everything that just happened with the pandemic wasn't real. Like it was just like, oh, it was a short thing and now we're done. And also at the same time, you know, like all of these concurrent themes are happening at the same time because nothing happens in a vacuum. So I'm, all this is happening and I'm still educating myself on social justice issues and seeing the white capitalist patriarchy showing up over and over and over again as to how we continue to abuse ourselves because the system requires us to and how much that is causing more problems on top of everything else. Because the only reason we had to go forward and forget that COVID existed, even though it currently still exists and is still causing problems and is still a mass disabling event, is because the system requires us to do that. The system is so abusive also that it requires us to forget all the trauma we just went through from this really life-threatening disease that has been released into the wild. and. We're just supposed to move on because, oh, we've got to work to survive because I can't get housing otherwise. I can't get food otherwise. And at this point, I can't get air otherwise. I can't get water otherwise. Our basic needs are for sale. After all everything that just happened, our basic needs are still for sale. And that is, it is something so ridiculous <laughs> to understand and I was having a really hard time kind of coalescing all of these different perspectives coming in at me. And underneath all of this is my own low self-esteem around I'm not uh, sharing the work that I want to share. I'm struggling with binge eating because I'm trying to self-regulate. I'm still experiencing massive depression and anxiety because of all of these things. I am not showing up for myself um, in, in the ways that feel nourishing, um, because I don't have the time, I don't have the bandwidth, I don't have the space. And so all of these things are happening at once. And it took me two years. It took me two years to get to a point where I could, I had enough time and space to recognize what was going on. It would take me another almost six to eight months to start to change things in my day-to-day -day life 
that allowed me to show up for myself in more, in more authentic ways, to create better boundaries at work, um, to get um, to create better uh, tool sets at work, to be uh, so that I could do the job more efficiently without ever without actually having to um, compromise uh, my performance, my output, or um, my presence, because my presence is so required at work. But I also want to make sure I have something left for myself. And then I'm trying to make a healthy relationship work that requires me to live in a way that I'm not used to, especially when I compare them to my previous relationships that were coming from a more traumatized space. Um, trying to accept someone with in their entirety and understanding that just because there are parts of them that you don't agree with or you don't... Um, you don't like even doesn't mean that the person themselves should be written off as a whole. Um, all of these things require a regulated nervous system. And I will say that I spent, there was like, um, it was almost like eight to 10 weeks in the winter time. Um, I had kind of moved out of the place that I was at. So my compute, my, my commute was a lot shorter. And I literally went from an hour commute to, um, a literal 30 second commute. I, I live next door to where I work. <laughs> so that has, um, that already gave me back 10 hours in my week. And that gave me the time and the space to, uh, and this is the start of like 2022. So that gave me some time and some space to sp spend it on me. Then um, me and my boyfriend, we broke up for a little bit um, because it was um, the things that were bothering me that I thought were because I was still traumatized were bothering me because it was traumatizing to be in a relationship like that. Um, so there's, you know, that was that was necessary for me to do too, because I needed to purge myself of those responses because those responses are coming from a place, from a part of me that is uh, reliving. Um, like his actions would not, I, I wouldn't even see him. It was, it was triggering the treatment my mother would put me through. And all of a sudden I am responding to him as if he's my mother. And he doesn't understand why my response is so um, exaggerated because in his eyes, it, I mean, there's, you know, there's some people, you know, some people have a blind spot around themselves and that's one thing, but there's also like the very real experience of, well, I didn't think this was that big of a deal. Why are you having such a big reaction? And especially if that person is not trauma informed, they won't understand why, when you are coming from that place of having severe childhood trauma, severe maternal narcissistic trauma, why a reaction is so big to certain things. Um, someone not giving me their undivided attention when they asked for me to be in a certain space with them, um, that is triggering for me. That's actually still triggering to me for this day. I just, um, I regulate it differently than I did back then. And all of this to say that in, when you are healing from leaving a, a family cult, if, when you are healing from a narcissistic um, relationship, when you are healing from uh, childhood narcissistic abuse, all the caveats, right? It takes about two years, two to three years, I would say. It could, it could stretch to three because mine was like two and a half. So it could stretch to three in some cases and very easily. Um, 
given all the other constraints of life, it can take about two to three years before you start to get the awareness of where your responses are coming from. Before you can even have the awareness of, oh, I'm doing X, Y, Z because of this thing that I'm coming out of. Like your frontal, prefrontal cortex, your frontal lobe isn't even online to the degree that you need it to be to start working through some of this stuff. And it takes about two to three years to start to work through, like to work through like the vast majority of the very severe exaggerated, um, and I mean exaggerated in the sense that they're very large responses to relatively speaking, relatively speaking, small infractions. Um, again, a lot of people are just acting from where they want to act, but somebody's rudeness triggering you to be like blow up, that's a that's an exaggerated response to the stimulus that's coming in, but it's because you're not responding to the stimulus. The stimulus is just the latest in the whole series of other times that you were, you were disrespected that you're responding to, if that makes sense. So it's your response is to a um, conglomeration of disrespect versus the person in front of you is just responsible for the one and is like, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, that's a very real thing that we have to live with. And it doesn't make anybody right or wrong, but in order for you as a person having that response, because again, we, are, we do not heal in isolation, we heal in relationship. So you can do all of this work on yourself, but until you start to go back and interact with other people, you will not know whether or not your healing work is working. Okay, like it's so like that's it's something I'm going to talk about in future episodes, but your you do not heal in isolation. You do a lot of the work in isolation, but the actual healing, the actual putting together of new puzzle pieces to create this person who is you, who can be the most authentic expression of you comes in relationship, whether that's work relationships or if it's intimate relationships or if it's chosen family relationships, if it's friends, if it's acquaintances, if it's the random person on the street you saw when you were walking your dog, like all of those relationships take a part in you actually um, healing. The work of the healing it can be done mostly by yourself, um, for yourself in your own space. But the actual healing, you know, the actual, you know, the function of the work is, you know, are, do, you, do you function in your relationships better? And that doesn't happen unless you start putting other people into the mix. You cannot heal in isolation. You cannot just, it is not all of, all of it is not your responsibility. All right. You cannot, you could, there's only so much you can do on your own. Eventually you will need other people to give you feedback. However, that feedback comes in for you to realize, oh, hey, okay, well, while I think that, you know, if I'm by myself, I know how I would respond to somebody and like not paying attention to me when they ask me to spend time with them. But when it actually happens, I lose my shit because I just get transported back to, you know, four-year-old Rama who could never get her mother's attention for anything other than doing something bad. Okay, well, then how do I... How do, in this new relationship now where Rama is not a four years old and is not in a relationship with her mother, um, she's in a relationship with a different person in this context, how do I come into this with that, now that I have that awareness? Okay, this is how I react because this is my ancient childhood wound. How do I now act from a new place from somebody who is actively working to heal that wound? It's a, 
So like, you know, the work is one thing, but the work working is some, is something is, is a completely different entity onto itself. And this is just to, I'm making that point because what I've noticed with a lot of people and especially post pandemic, um, and I hate saying post pandemic because we're not out of it yet, but post post 2020, um, what I've noticed is that it's because for a lot of us, especially those of us who were healing, we were, um, we were able that, that time, if you were, you know, if you were one of the lucky ones who were in lockdown and yes, I do consider yourself lucky that you were able to protect yourself during lockdown. Um, I was not. And, um, unless you're an essential worker, you really won't understand that particular traumatizing bit of, of COVID. Um, which is probably another conversation for another day. But, um, when you, when you have, when you are given the choice to isolate or when, when you're mandated to isolate and you're doing this kind of work, it's actually very therapeutic to now not have any outside influence over what you're doing with your time for a little while. But then all of a sudden you have to get, go back and interact with people. And that's when you actually find out if what you're doing is working because by yourself, it all looks like hunky dory. Oh yeah, I got the attachment thing figured out. I can be secure until you have to actually try to practice a secure attachment with somebody who's going to trigger all of your insecurities. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And you're like, wait, I thought I had this handled. It must be this person's fault. When really it's just, well, in isolation on your own and, and thinking that you've now cured your attachment style and now can practice a secure attachment is one thing. When you actually have to go and practice it, it is a completely different animal. Because now you actually have to create a formal body memory of doing this thing with someone versus having just the mental, and again, this is something I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand on in a little bit, versus having the, um, the, just the mental idea and the, the, the um, yeah, I'm mean, like, I'm trying to come up with the right word, but really I just keep coming back to the same thing. The mental exercise of uh, rehearsing secure attachment is one thing. The body memory of, um, of practicing a secure attachment is something else. And I'm using attachment style as an example here. Um, it could be anything. Um, so in, in the whole process of, um, of healing, it's important to understand that the, the, the it takes time. Just because you left and leaving felt like it was the hardest thing to do, because it is. When you are in that stage, leaving is the hardest thing to do. But when you leave and you realize now it's just you, who are you when you do not have the abuse environment around you to reinforce their idea of who you are supposed to be? And really kind of putting yourself together from scratch. And I say this about myself all the time when people are like, oh, you're, you know, when they, you know, they perceive you as being successful or uh, having it all together or, you know, and I've gotten, I've been hit with this kind of thing before, you know, being proficient or efficient or anything like that. And I, and I have to, and I have to turn around them and say, like, I put myself together from scratch because I have, I picked and chose all the parts of me that I wanted to keep all the parts that kind of needed to be, um, kind of adjusted to 
align with who I am now and what my values are now. And in all the parts I had to let go. And letting go is as hard as choosing to what, uh, as, as, um, it, as is leaving, leaving parts of you behind is just as hard as choosing what stays and what needs to be adjusted. Each part has its own sort of difficulty because your context is no longer the same. And if you're doing, and in my opinion, if you're doing this work right, your values will not be the same. So, uh, and, and I'm going to talk about more of this in part two, um, because the second episode is going to, I'm going to go into more of like the more um, details of actual, what, what my healing will actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but this was, um, I really just wanted to come, like share this part of the story because I think it gets lost because it is so hard. And again, a lot of people do not talk about the hard when they're in the middle of it. Um, we do it like a before, the before and after thing is really, really enticing because it's like, oh, look, but don't look at all the work in the middle that I had to put in to get to the after. So in the, in the spirit of, you know, building yourself up from scratch, um, I say that all the time. I think that my clients who really, um, embrace the work with the same enthusiasm that I do, I think that they will tell you also that it's, you do build yourself up from scratch. You do get to pick and choose. And sometimes it's not, it's most of the time it's not easy because you, and I've, and I've talked about this in a previous episode too, you don't know what's you and what's a trauma response. And that can be really hard to kind of see in the mirror and be like, ah, okay, so I just did this. I thought I was being nice. I thought I, that made me a good person. Um, another topic for another day. But, um, oh, I was just doing this because if I didn't do, it, I, would, I would less likely be targeted by my parent um, if I did it this way than versus if I did it the way that I, that I felt like doing at the time. Um, and then there's also the parts of you that have to be embraced in order to fully integrate um, the pieces of yourself. And again, I'm going to talk about more of this in the second episode, but I really hope that this helps someone who's maybe, um, thinking about leaving or has just left and they kind of feel all over the place and they don't know, um, what's going on or if they're doing it right or why they feel like their therapy isn't working or all the work they're doing isn't working. And let me tell you something I'll tell you, and I'll be, I'm, I'm, I'm up front almost to a fault. And because I'd much rather be clear and direct and maybe hurt your feelings a little bit. If at some point those words will give you the clarity that you're looking for. And it's not always right away, but I do hope that I always hope I always choose to speak from a place of, with the intent of, I hope this helps because even if it feels like it hurts right now, um, mostly because your, your perception of yourself is kind of getting, getting hit up against everything you've been through, um, not to negate anything you've been through or that your response isn't an absolutely normal response to, to horrific abuse. But, um, if you're feeling kind of discombobulated and that you can't really get your feet quite underneath you or that um, you feel like you're doing everything right but somehow you still feel um, unmoored in your relationships after leaving from your cult family or your narcissistic parent, um, that's absolutely normal. 
you're not going to get there overnight. And I'm telling you right now that it is takes two to three years. And that's if you do the work every day. That's if you don't completely dissociate. And by the way, if you're in the middle of addictive patterns, you are doing, and, but you're aware that you are and you're using to cope, that is part of the work. It's okay to have those coping strategies right now because you're, that's what your nervous system needs. And I'm not advocating for drug use. I'm not ad advocating for alcoholism. I'm not doing any of that right now. But what I'm saying is that as a binge eater, as somebody whose coping mechanism was to eat, that is just as unhealthy as it is to drink. And it's just as healthy as it is to get high on whatever drug you want to be talking about right now. You are self-regulating. But if as long as you are putting in the work and you have the awareness that these are coping mechanisms you're using to cope and you have some sort of awareness around what leads you to those things, even if you're still doing those things, if you have some awareness when you do it, it will allow you to dismantle those behaviors if that's something you choose to do at the point when you're able to do it. But, on, but if, you're, if you're going around blindly being addicted to things and not taking the time to understand what is driving that behavior, what pain is driving that behavior, you won't be able to stop it. You won't be able to get the help that you need to stop it. And then you're continuing the abuse cycle. Then There is a point where you use those things to continue to abuse yourself because that's what you know. And again, I'm going to talk about this in the next episode because I have my own battles with addiction that I'm going to share that will um, hopefully hopefully sh um, show you that I'm not talking from a place of holier than thou because I'm not by any means. I, But um, there is a way out. It's not pretty, but there is a way out. As long as you're willing to um, willing to see yourself as clearly as you can. Uh, thanks so much for listening today. I hope you guys will join me next week when I go into uh, more of the like nitty gritty details of um, what healing actually looks like on a day to day basis, and um, you know how to feel your feelings and all that fun stuff. Um, I'm going to be sharing on the next episode. Um, but, uh, thanks so much for joining me today and I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Cherished You podcast. If you could please leave me a review, um, subscribe and share. It really helps get the podcast out to those who it will help the most.